Welcome to this week's episode of The Great Park Hop. My name is Julian James, and continuing to join us live from the Hall Cave, where he's been sitting there salivating at the opportunity to get back on Fast and Furious Supercharged, the man, the myth, the legend, Henry Hall. Hey! Each week we get together to discuss the latest and greatest theme park news, happenings, and burning topics from the lands of Disney, Universal, and beyond. Before launching into things, we always like to note that Henry works at the Walt Disney Company. As always, though, his opinions are fully his own. Henry, I've got a hot take for you. Okay. The submarine voyage at Disneyland, now known as Finding Nemo Submarine Voyage, is old and busted and needs to be replaced. What are your thoughts? I, well... I agree that it's it needs to be replaced. I missed the original uh, submarine ride. Uh, I think the uh, Nemo upgrade, I guess, was not really much of a upgrade. It just felt like I was in a different. Uh, I was in a submarine watching the Finding Nemo movie. <laughs> right. Literally watching the movie in screens in in the submarine. So. I agree that it definitely needs a massive overhaul, but I would like to see some form of like a submarine ride unless they were to take it out and replace it with the Tron roller coaster. Then you're all for that. Oh yeah. That, um, there was some, I, I forget where it might've been like a mice chat rumor or something like that. There was some rumor that I had read that that was like part of part of the grand plan but uh but yeah I, I would be surprised if that's the case yeah I uh it, the the retheme is is super strange and so full disclosure this this whole kind of conversation started on a um I posted on my adventures in VR Instagram account which you should definitely follow if you like Disney content especially videos but um uh, I posted the something of the uh, a video clip of the Nemo and Friends Sea Rider from Disney Sea, which is uh, just kind of like Star Tours. Um, it's the Star Tours ride system, but with Finding Nemo. So it's kind of cute, and you kind of know what you're getting uh, from it. But uh, I posed just the general question of like, would you like to see this replaced? Um, or would you like to see this replace submarine voyage at Disneyland? And so of course, like a, a majority of people said, no, no way. Disneyland subs are classic. Um, and it did make me think just in, in, in a lot of these conversations that I was having with people in the, uh, in the comment section, just like, what is it about the submarine voyage that really kind of connects with people? Because it definitely is a nostalgia factor. Like for me, when I think of the submarines at Disneyland, the 
all of the all of the warm fuzzies that I feel on it are purely based off of like my memories writing it as a kid and that just kind of fantasy fulfillment of like riding in a real deal submarine and being underwater, which of course, like a lot of people called out was like, these are real subs. You're actually underwater. And you know, it, it is like a Walt Disney original, um, all, all true and all like major positives. But, uh, but once you kind of, at least again, for me, once you take that layer of nostalgia off of it, it is like, it is such a, an uncomfortable ride experience. It, it's like cramped. It, um, you know, it's very stale kind of air. You even just like as an adult, you have to really kind of crane your neck over to get a really good view out the windows. You know what I mean? Like they're almost designed for little kids that are kind of looking right directly into this big porthole. But as an adult, it's, it, it is a very different experience. And that's not even getting into like how they're going to figure out how to do this ride in, in the uh, era of COVID where you don't want a bunch of people in a confined area sharing a bunch of oxygen. But, uh, but beyond that, it, it, it definitely got me thinking like if this ride were in another park, like if you were to take it certainly as is and place it at like Knott's Berry farm, would there be any kind of, would you see the same kind of affection that people have towards it? Uh, I don't think so, but I also think that I've always said that I think the submarine ride and Autotopia are more of a for kids ride, um, right? Because for sure. it's definitely something that when you're a kid, and I think too, like uh, the oceans are still very, uh, un- it's like one of the few areas that are still have a lot of like mystery to them out there right now is so it has the imagination factor with that but uh yeah if you put this ride in in another like park yeah people probably would not have uh an issue with it going away for sure but i think i think there is something to the submarine ride when i was a kid for sure, it was kind of the amazement of being in an actual like submarine and being underwater and seeing stuff right. uh, underwater. That was cool. I think I think it's definitely something. It definitely should be some kind of like twenty thousand leagues under the sea type theming to it. Oh yeah, that was uh, Dis- Magic Kingdoms was twenty thousand leagues under the sea. I thought that was always they had like mini nautiluses that you. Uh, you wrote and I always thought that was the coolest. Yeah. It's just, it, you know, the, the finding Nemo was kind of a, it, I think the only part of that, that I, I really like is seeing the seagulls on the outside <laughs> when we're walking by. Totally. That's fantastic theming <laughs> for sure. Um, yeah, but so yeah, I, I generally, I agree. If we're just talking purely execution, like finding Nemo really is, it is, a very basic re-theme that doesn't address kind of the, it wasn't done to solve any issues as much as it was done to kind of get IP in there. But, you know, really you do have to, at least in looking at, and I, I feel bad judging finding the, the finding Nemo re-theme on face value because 
you kind of have to think of like the historical context of what was going on, certainly with the with the submarines at the time, because, you know, the submarines were kind of done, right? Like they disappeared in it was like early mid 2000s. They just kind of were gone. And I think everybody assumed I don't remember if there was actual communication from Disney at the time suggesting that. You know the the ride had hit the end of the road, but I, I, that was certainly the impression from uh, from everybody around Disneyland. And so, you know, it was definitely it was that that machine of trying to get the sub saved and figuring out some way of not losing this classic Disneyland and and Walt Disney attraction. Uh, those those gears are really turning. And so when they announced that the subs were going to be back, and it was like. 2007 I want to say um when 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 that was when that was done it was like oh okay like I don't care about finding an emo but if this is if this is the path to getting the subs back and kind of keeping the subs around for at least a little bit longer uh fine we'll take it you know it's almost like you're you're uh you're you're kind of like in a uh You'll just take whatever you can get from from uh, from the Disneyland higher up. So, you know, I, I think that, too, I think a lot of people probably give uh, Finding Nemo a bit of a pass in terms of the re-theme. And, and, I mean, you know, that's you could say that's rightfully so, just given the fact that, like, for whatever reason, that appeared to be the only way that Disneyland could make uh, could make that make sense from whatever kind of profit and loss algorithm they're using. Uh, so, you know, like I said, I I don't hold that as much against it. But I mean, you're right. Like at the end of the day, you the main problems of the ride are that it is like the just the general experience of it certainly as an adult is like really uncomfortable like Matterhorn levels uncomfortable uh but at least the Matterhorn has like uh, some level of adrenaline factor there where it is kind of exciting uh the subs are just like the subs are a really long uncomfortable ride that you're right has these kind of lackluster elements to it so I don't know, man. It's like, you're right. I want them to to stay around, but um, it is one of those aspects of Disneyland right now where it's just kind of like, what's the plan, guys? Like, what are we doing? It's similar to, you're right, Autopia. That's perfect where you have a situation where it's just like, I feel like people have been wondering, like, what's going on with Autopia forever, right? Like, how many times can... I run into someone and have a conversation of Autopia where it's brought up like, why are these not electric cars sponsored by Tesla or Nissan Leaf or Chevy Volt or like something, right? Especially within the context of Tomorrowland. Like, why do we still have these just like vehicles that are loud and are spewing noxious fumes and just making for, again, a very unpleasant experience that uh, reminds you of of distant past as opposed to kind of, you know, uh, not so distant future. Yeah. It's weird for the autotopia. Cause that it, I don't, it feels like they've never really updated those engines on those cars. Cause 
They they're the same it's crazy rattly, things they did. <laughs> well, <laughs> they seem like the same rattly engines that I rode when I was like a little kid and stuff. I mean, yeah, right. I mean, the cars themselves have definitely changed the body, but the engines feel like they're the same. So, but they did when they went to Honda, uh, and Honda sponsored them, and you know, added in that weird kind of white robot that is uh, is in strange situations throughout the ride. Now, um, they did. They completely. I mean, it was down for a while. I forget how long that refurb was, but it was it was pretty extensive. And part of that was that they rebuilt all of the cars, including the engine. Hmm. I don't know. It feels like they just, they may have made like new cars, but they put those old engines back in. <laughs> <laughs> You're convinced. Oh man, those things have been, I mean, it's the same rattly engine that, I, I don't know, it's just, it just seems that it's the same. Maybe they rebuilt the engines or something, but they just still put those same same rattly engines in, but yeah, it is time for them to be like electric or something. So at least it's cleaner, uh, you know, instead of those, like, you know, I don't know, two stroke engines in there. <laughs> and they just, like I said, the fumes coming off of that, if you're anywhere in the area is, uh, it is just noticeable, right? You're like, what? This seems like it, 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 Again, if you take it out of the context of nostalgia and the fact that this is also an original Walt Disney, this is an opening day attraction, unlike the subs, uh, it is, it, it, it feels like, it feels very much like a relic of the past with, especially Autopia, has very little charm. You could argue that, you know, the subs with their kind of fish underwater um, and just general theming has like a charm to it. Uh, Autopia doesn't, man. Um, I'll tell you too, uh, you know, I was just in, in Disneyland Paris in December, right when they reopened their Autopia that had just gone through pretty extensive refurbishment. And it was the exact same thing. It is literally the exact same thing where you are in this kind of really loud, rattling, stinky, engined car and driving in just kind of an unremarkable track. Like if anything, Disneyland's Autopia is superior to Disneyland Paris's, even though I like the design of the, uh, the Paris cars, they have a cool kind of like retro, almost like 50s, 60s car vibe going. But, uh, but at least Disneyland's has like that off-road segment. And like I said, they've got, they've got, uh, that weird robot thing. Paris doesn't have any of that. It's, they've got like kind of retro um uh like road signs up and they've got posters up that that are kind of retro but it is i mean it is i kept on waiting for like there to be something else there there really wasn't so psh, bad yeah but but again like if you're so if you have nostalgia for it or if you're there with little kids then i i guess it makes sense but it feels like for both autopia and subs that like there could be, and I'm sure is a way to make it so that it is appealing for adults and appealing to kids. Like so many of the best Disney rides are. Yeah. But I mean, for now, like definitely Autotopia is, is like exciting to kids. Cause I, when, uh, uh, Lori and I went with, uh, some friends of ours, their daughter 
loved the Autotopia. Like, literally, she got in trouble because of the Autotopia. We were sitting there resting. and She's bumping people? Well, no. Like, we went and sat down and rested. And she said, oh, I want to go, like, ride the Autotopia. So she went with her brother, uh, who was older. And I think she was eight and he was 12. And we were sitting right across from the uh, Autotopia so we could see it. Um, she went and rode it. Well, after she rode it that once, she ran and get got back on it without asking us first, asking her parents first. So we're like, where is she going? Like, And she just kept running and getting back on it and on and on it. So uh, I think she rode it like four times until before they actually stopped her. And uh, yeah, she got in trouble that night for that. But uh, <laughs> but it's definitely something that is exciting for kids. And I remember when I was a kid, like little kid, that uh, I was always excited for it because it was the one time not only like could you ride with your parents, but you got to drive and be like your parents and be the driver of the car for once. So totally, totally. And and again, it's like the 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 biggest problem that I have with the rides isn't in concept. The concept is awesome. The concept totally makes sense. You're absolutely right. Especially when you're targeting it towards kids, the idea of the fantasy fulfillment of like, you're able to drive a car solo. It's not a simulation. It's not a video game. You're actually able to press that pedal and you have a combustion engine in this case that propels you forward and you can steer. And theoretically you, if you're going too fast, you can crash into the person in front of you. You are in control. That makes total sense and is extremely compelling. Similarly with the submarine ride, right? Everybody that was responding in the comment section of my Instagram post was saying, you know, the, 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 this ride in Disney sea is great, but it's really just in front of a screen, which is its own problem. But in Disneyland, you're actually in a submarine underwater. You're submerged in some way. So again, like conceptually, it's an awesome idea. And there's tons of, I mean, to even suggest potential because it's been realized at certain points. Like, you know, when it opened, it was, it was incredible. It felt new. It felt fresh. Uh, when you're young riding it, it feels new and feels fresh. But again, like the execution, and certainly it hasn't aged particularly well in in the case for both Autopia and the submarines. But it, it it's like there needs to be, so to go back to like what you're saying in terms of Nemo re-theme feeling disappointing, it doesn't need a re-theme. It needs like a, a complete, refurbishment and and almost like restructuring and restructuring of of its just core kind of functionality certainly for the submarines right like again it's it's an uncomfortable experience which is not what you want the autopia is a little bit simpler because at least if you slap electrical cars there and add some kind of make them feel fresh and clean and futuristic maybe do a little bit of sprucing up of the the general kind of theming. I think I think you've got what you're looking for there and you're you're kind of straddling the lines of it being exciting, it feeling fresh, 
it not being kind of obnoxious to be an adult, <laughs> you know, experiencing autopia. Um, so you know, there's definitely ways of going about it, but it, it is, uh, something needs to be done. It feels like, you know, it, 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 like I said, it's, it's like both rides, interestingly enough, are kind of straddling on the edges of Tomorrowland, which we've talked about. And Tomorrowland is suffering from the same thing of just pure stagnation. And so it's like those rides need direction as much as the land does. Maybe they're waiting until maybe, maybe there's rumor that, you know, may or may not be true now that, uh, now that uh, Disney is is hitting a financial kind of bump right now. But there was that rumor that like everything other than Space Mountain and maybe like Star Tours was going to be demolished within Tomorrowland and it was going to be rebuilt from scratch. Maybe they're waiting until the major, major redo of new Tomorrowland at Disneyland to do something with those rides. But I don't know, man, until then, like I said, it, it they feel like they're stagnating along with Tomorrowland. Just my feeling. Oh, for sure. I don't know. Uh, they're definitely stag stagnated. Uh, Tomorrowland for sure has been stagnant for a while. It's definitely not tomorrow anymore. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. I mean, you're right. Who, who knows where we're going to be at the end of all of this, but enough about kind of what might be, what if, what might be kind of further on down the road. Let's talk about this last week of news because, man, it was it was big. It was just a big week of news. It feels like every single week that we've pretty much gotten together and just kind of gone through everything since, since, uh, since the parks closed, it's just been this kind of barrage of news. But this week in particular was big. And surprise, surprise, Henry, the biggest news of the week is that Universal has officially announced that it will be reopening all three of its Orlando theme parks on June 5th. Now, the 5th is the date that everything is available to the public. However, even before that, Universal Orlando will be having an initial soft opening period where team members, followed by invited guests and annual pass holders, will get a sneak peek. And just to be clear, this is all happening next week with parks opening on Monday for staff, Wednesday through Thursday for invited guests, and then Friday for the general public. Talk about a quick turnaround from announcement to opening. Just like, let's take that in for a moment and think about how crazy it is to come out and basically say, hey, in less than two weeks, our theme parks are going to be open. Everything is going to be, everything is going to be moving. That's insane. To me, that is crazy. It's pretty quick. That's, that's a quick move uh, on Universal's part. Um, I just hope uh, it goes smoothly. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, you know, l let's talk about the details first. And then I do want to, I, I think we absolutely need to dig into this because uh, I'm sure just as, as, uh, as I have, you have plenty of thoughts around this. So as you can imagine, Universal dropped a ton of details on what guests should and shouldn't expect when they pull up to the entrance archway. Some of these include reservations. 
you will not be needing one for June 5th and the period afterwards. However, they do note that parks will be operating with reduced hours, so that's 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. for their theme parks, and 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. for their water park, Volcano Bay, and they will be limiting attendance by an unknown amount at this moment in time. So, I it sounds like the way that they described it is going to be very much like they would operate normally with a normal capacity and that once they hit that cap, you're not getting in if you show up afterwards. It sounds like that's going to be the case here. It's just that capacity is going to be at like 20 or 30%. So you better get there early and wait in line if you really want to make sure you show up. But uh, no reservations means that, you know, you, you are risking people showing up late and, being disappointed. And, you know, we look at, we look at Shanghai Disneyland and the system that they put in place. They were the first major theme park in the world to, to open up. They used a reservation system. Seems like that worked out pretty well for them. Universal saying, not us, just we're going, we're going all out, show up, get here early get ready to start taking swings. Just make sure that you are appropriately socially distanced. Seems like, uh, seems like there may be some areas that things could get a little dicey. Honestly, it sounds like they're rushing things. So basically they didn't get like an app or anything in place so that they could take some kind of reservations, which would be ideal for this kind of situation. Cause then you don't run into that problem of people showing up and then being disappointed because they can't get in uh, that. And I think this is going to set up a potential for there to be, uh, you know, issues between individuals trying to elbow each other to get in head in line, but you're supposed to be socially distant. So I don't know. Sounds like the, that potentially like there's going to be confrontations because of this. Or at least at, at the very least, just disappointment, right? Oh, yeah. Like it is. So certainly with the truncated time frame in terms of announcement to opening, you're probably not having a lot of out of towners coming in and uh, at the last minute and, and just kind of bombarding Universal. So I'm assuming that this first wave is going to be locals. So at least you don't have to worry too much about people showing up, paying a ton of money to fly out and then being disappointed. But, um, but yeah, you know, the fact that things have moved so quickly to get to this point does mean that in this announcement, they're still not a hundred percent clear, at least to the potential guests, what the policy is going to be. So again, like, yes, we know that it's going to be, it's going to be capped. The attendance total is going to have some kind of capacity control. We don't know what that means in terms of how that's going to be communicated. We don't know if that means that you show up and just hope for the best. It, 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 so it just, it creates a sense of, um, of just kind of mystery, but also just a sense of kind of angst. If you're planning on doing this, it's like, uh, you know, it's something that could have been avoided, but you know, it, 
it seems like. I, I don't know if if the idea is to just like let's get things moving as fast as possible, but you know, you're right. It, you does bring into question like maybe it is a little bit too early if certainly you know a uh, uh, a week and a half before you're open you don't have basic answers to some of your questions and they did have to their credit they uh you know they did have a pretty extensive Q&A that they provided online right so they did specifically call out that a majority of their attractions are scheduled to be open Though, quote, some queue experiences may be slightly altered as we implement our new procedures, end quote. So this is this kind of goes to what we were talking about a while ago of just like, what would certain rides be like if you just chop out that kind of introductory kind of story element queue? Maybe they're talking about that. Maybe they're not. But again, adds to that air of like, who knows what that means and how that's going to affect what rides. I don't know. You hope for the best. You hope that it's not chowing out some major important part. But immediately you think about something like, you know, how crazy would it be, Henry, if you were going to Disneyland in a similar situation and that was the that was the kind of verbiage that was being used to just kind of describe the situation of 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 ride experiences and just saying like well some cues might be offered you show up to the haunted mansion which is back up and running and rolling and the stretching room is cut you'd be pretty disappointed i'm guessing yeah that would be disappointing uh it it's just i think there's a lot of questions that come to mind i mean more like how am i going to get into this park when are they going to tell me that they're like at capacity are they gonna let me pay to park and everything and then i'm gonna find out when i go to the ticket box or or i'm like buying tickets they're gonna be like oh we're out so i'm now i'm out of the money i parked i paid to park and all this stuff or no yeah you know it's like or the the time that I spent trying to get into the park you know sounds like people are basically going to be potentially wasting time and money trying to get into this place because I imagine it's probably even though it's going to be more of a, a locals at this point I think it's it's still going to be like from what I've seen of like things opening it's probably going to be packed you know as I mean, it's going to be at capacity for the most part. And yeah, I, as packed as 20, 30% capacity can be. Yeah. So, uh, but so you're going to have people like hey, turned away and more than likely disappointed because there's just like no kind of like information put out there how you could check like the capacity because you don't know the capacity. Do we even know if they know the capacity for sure? I mean, I'm sure they will the day of, but I mean, how do they, how are they going to communicate that to people? Are they going to be turned away before they park? Because I imagine they're not going to count people who are going into the park until they buy their tickets or something. Cause it's kind of tricky to count people as they're in the car, but I guess they could do that. But uh, I don't know. It seems really wild west. <laughs> they still technically have time 
to get something together and at least communicate that out. Uh, because yeah, I mean, the more, the more we're talking about it, I think it's just the clearer it is that they have to have something in, uh, in advance that's, that lets people know what certainly what the process is, but even just, even just kind of, even just lets them know if they're going to get into the park. I, I, I think so. Uh, from my perspective, totally unacceptable if it's just if it is just a free for all at the entrance. I think that is a recipe for disaster, and it's just like, you know, again, it doesn't need to be that. You can figure out a way around that, and again, again, it's Shanghai's already done this, so you had something showing what you could have done. So uh, my. I, I still have faith that Universal will figure something out that will prevent this from being the kind of cluster that it sounds like it might be. Um, Honestly, this sounds like it's uh, what you brought up last week where uh, uh, Universal's opened up their city walk before Disney Springs opened up. It You said that they it looks like they tried to get one over on Disney before they opened up. I didn't think they would try and do that for the park, but this seems like that they're exactly <laughs> trying to do. They're trying to get ahead of Disney. So they're maybe not a hundred percent prepared for this, uh, which is not a great thing at this point. It just seems so, so like open ended for like, so many questions on like i think once you get into the park it's probably going to be fine but it just feels so ambiguous of how you're going to get into the park and if you're going to get into the park that i don't know if i would i mean personally i'd be frustrated if i really wanted to go um i doubt at this point i would plan on going just because it's just so ambiguous. I wait to see like what that first week looks like and what happens after that. I'm definitely not, uh, I don't have a feeling like this is a place that is a good place to go at this point. As I think Disney has been, you know, giving us such a good uh, picture of what they're putting in place that, you know, I feel more at ease when they finally open up their parks. It, they're definitely different approaches that are being taken. But, uh, you know, you mentioned kind of what that experience is going to be like once you're in the park. They have a, they, they had a couple of nuggets of information around that, too, such as face masks. They will be required even on rides. The only exception that they mentioned were if you're um, seated in a designated dining area. So if you're at a restaurant eating, obviously you're, you're okay taking off your mask there. Um, I guess certain attractions where water plays a big part of it, that you're, that you're kind of sitting in a splash zone. Um, you're not required to wear masks there and in their water park for slides and pools. Those are the two areas that they specifically called out. No masks are going to be required for that either. Um, and then hand sanitizer, they specifically call out that any time that you are getting ready to 
enter a ride vehicle, a Universal Orlando team member will provide guests with the hand sanitizer that is required prior to boarding. So they specifically call out that it's required every time you get on a ride vehicle. So you're going to be doused in Purell <laughs> by the end of your trip. Um, they call out also virtual line, which is Universal's version of FastPass, will still be in use, but only for select rides. So it doesn't sound like they're going to a full virtual queue system, maybe like Disney's going to be doing. So uh, the other the other little things that they call out. So we we had talked a little bit about Universal uh, Halloween Horror Night and what that might mean. So uh, there's a little bit of information, which is just more details for these events will be shared at a later time. Interesting thing is they do have a couple of events that are later in the year as well that they also specifically call out as canceled. So it sounds like it's definitely not canceled as of yet, and that maybe even there's a potential that they call out Horror Nights, but they also call out uh, the holiday celebration. There's a potential that those maybe will continue as planned. Not sure how that is going to be done for something like Halloween Horror Nights, but I don't know. It, it sounds like it's not completely off the books yet, so maybe some good news there. Also, same basic requirements as City Walk will be in effect. So mandatory temperature checks and face masks with lots of social distancing markings on the ground. And then the final note that they have is um, that hotel details will also be shared soon. But it does sound like their new development, which is the Dockside Inn and Suites at Universal's Endless Summer Resort, uh, it was originally supposed to open on March 17th. It will remain closed for the time being. So really, uh, that's the information that they've offered. We're uh, a week and a half away, still have some big questions. And to your point, Henry, there, there definitely are taking a very different approach uh, to Disney, which is significantly more measured. Uh, they're trying to get out at least the opening dates and perhaps some of the policies they're trying to get out ahead as much as possible. At least that was the case with downtown Disney. So you had a very good idea of what that experience was going to be long before you potentially were going to show up. doesn't seem like that's the case at universal. Yeah, but they did. I think they did add kind of like a, a by going to the park, you're going to risk getting this, uh, like, a the same kind of similar verbiage as the uh, Disney release of reliability. Yeah. So, right. They're, they're, they're hitting you with the legalese as well. So, uh, so yeah, FYI is certainly a possibility if you go here. Um, yeah, I don't, it, 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 it will be interesting. I mean, definitely they are going full steam ahead. It seems like my guess would be that they were relatively pleased at how the city walk opening happened uh, a little while ago. So um, that at least has given them the confidence to plow ahead on the theme parks. And so, yeah, man, that is, uh, that's something we'll definitely, uh, hopefully, you know, next week by the time we record our next podcast, we have some answers, especially around what that capacity policy is going to be. Um, you hope that there's some hotel policies in place so that if you are someone that maybe is driving 
from some other area of Florida and wants to stay the night uh, at a universal hotel that you'll have a little bit of information around that. Um, it sounds like maybe they're handling, you know, previous reservations a little bit different and that they're contacting people directly about that. Um, so yeah, still definitely some questions that are left unanswered, but to their credit, they also answered a lot of the big questions that we had, right? So masks for sure required on all rides. We were expecting that that's also going to be the case at Disney World when they open and Disneyland when they open. It was the case at Shanghai. So there's this big question that everyone always thinks about. It seems like whenever masks on rides is discussed, which is like, aren't they going to blow off? sounds like um, Shanghai. It sounds like Universal Orlando. Confident it's not going to be an issue. Make sure you get a good uh, good mask that'll hang on. <laughs> the other thing that they talked about, speaking of masks, yeah. So uh, they will have themed masks there at the park. So much like Disney, who's selling their themed masks on Shop Disney, they're going to have their own version. So that should be interesting to see what that is. Uh, you think Harry Potter will be present? Yeah. But I imagine they're definitely yeah. going to have like a, maybe a Dracula like fang mouth mask or something like that. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah, that, that'd be fun. You get like a, a T-Rex or Raptor snout too. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. <laughs> Sounds good, right? Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see what uh, we'll see how things go uh, within the next week for Universal. We still have a little bit of time for some more information, so we're definitely waiting for uh, for those final details. But just because Universal's news made the big splash this week, don't for a second think that things aren't popping off over at Disney. Of course, we've got a few reopening updates, but before getting into all of that, there's been a major shakeup in the parks division that we at least have to touch on. So if you remember, in February, Bob Chapek was named CEO, which left open his previous role of chairman of Disney Parks Experiences and Products. That role has now been filled by former Disney World president Josh DeMauro. An interesting thing here is that DeMauro had only been president of Disney World for less than a year. Before that, he was actually the president of Disneyland. And uh, so filling in the role of president of Disney World will be Jeff Vale, who most recently served as president of Disney Signature Experiences. So a uh, big, uh, big guest service uh uh, role right there. Uh, and then we also have a shift to Disneyland, though, with former president Rebecca Campbell moving on to become the new chairman of Disney Direct to Consumer and International. Taking her role will be Ken Potrock, who most recently served as president of Consumer Products. So I guess all the parks are uh, closed. Maybe Universal's getting the big news. No better time for a good executive shakeup, right? Yeah, well, I mean, it's probably a good idea because you're not going to, hopefully, like, stocks aren't going <laughs> to, you know, going to drop or anything like that. People are, while they're looking the other way at something else. Uh, right. So, but I imagine it's still, like, it's going to be fairly status quo for the most part. It As as consumers, we probably won't really see much of a difference and what in the day to day, it's going to be more uh, more info for the people behind the scenes. 
that's probably true, though. I will say, and this is, I think, I think this is very good news, at least for uh, Josh Demaro, who's going into that former Chapek role, who's really the head honcho of everything theme park, right? Uh, within Disney, uh, I will say he has at least been very open to um, uh, to just kind of media. Uh, he's been a very warm presence around the parks. He was at Disney Springs when that opened. He works with uh, vloggers and bloggers and and uh, and writers, and so he's definitely a very personable um, uh, executive, more so than I think, at least, what we saw from Chapik, who uh, who is who maybe wasn't quite as at the forefront and and kind of in your face and as uh, personable as uh, as Demaro was. So uh, and you know from everything it sounded like he was very well respected at Disneyland. Certainly wasn't at Disney World long enough, but you know very again like up forward in front of super numerous pictures. If you follow him on Instagram, he's very uh, open and honest there and and generally an interesting person to follow. Again, certainly more so than your average executive bear. So, uh, so it, you know, he brings a ton of experience from Disney parks. That's a good thing, I think. So, um, you know, whenever these major ex- uh, shakeups occur, you're never 100% sure. I have a good feeling about this one. Yeah, I think uh, surprisingly, I have heard the same thing. Actually, I had a friend who uh, he does camera work and was filming a bit uh, with the after the uh, Rise of the Resistance opened up in uh, Disney World over in Hollywood Park. Uh, my friend was recording uh some uh interactions with some uh, i guess a, a couple of nba stars are big disney fans mm-hmm. and he yeah. was he was technically filming them uh and wind up they flew him out to uh disney world and hollywood park to oh. to ride the rise of the resistance so and at that point he actually they actually got to meet with uh with with him at that point and they he made sure that they all got to ride on rise of resistance three times <laughs> oh man so he's definitely very pr friendly and that actually for uh consumers is probably is a, sounds like a good thing because hopefully he'll be very upfront with like how the parks are or plans for the parks and whatnot He's, he's got, like I said, he's got good FaceTime, but man, Henry, you have the coolest friends, dude. Every time you talk about stuff that your friends are doing, I'm, I'm always jealous. I do have one question though. So if you were in that position of, Hey, rise the resistance, I'm going to let you ride it on three times. Would you say, Hey, I'm only interested in two, but for that third one, pop me on smugglers run. No, I'd, I'd still, I mean. I'd still ride it the three times. I mean, that would be rude if he's like, hey, you want to go on the, you know, I mean, I don't think it was so much that uh, let's go on this three times. It was kind of like, hey, you know, keep it rolling. They went on it like once and I think somebody else took them on. And then uh, then they met with with him for the for the at the end after they wrote it once they met up with him they said hey let's go on this and then i think after they had wrote it 
they did some other stuff, and then he's like, "Hey, before you go, let's ride this again and stuff." So one more time, damn. So, hey, man, man knows how to uh, how to put a smile on people's face. So, but what you're saying is that after all of that, and he was like, "What do you guys think?" He'd be like, "Gotta tell you, Smugglers Run, better experience." Hey, maybe I would, but uh, I doubt they would actually be asking me. But I mean, it's just a it's Never a di- know, man. It's a different experience. I, I'm. I would say I would give my critique, but I think it's more, I would say I enjoy the Smuggler's Run a little bit more because it's more interactive. It's a more interactive experience. So Yeah, man. Well, you know what they say, Henry. You uh, you cannot tell a lie. Well, no. That doesn't help anybody telling a lie there. I mean, <laughs> hey, you never know. They might get something that, uh, like they might introduce an interactive element. That's true. Based on your feedback, good point. So we've uh, so we've got a new team of executives leading the Disney Parks division. But what exactly have they been working on? Shouldn't come as too big of a surprise, but it sounds like the plan to reopen the U.S. Disney Parks has been their top priority, which, according to the mayor of Orange County, Florida, will be presented next week. In the meantime, Disney Parks Guest Relations has come out with a statement on the ongoing park closures, mostly reiterates that while they continue to take reservations for July onward, there may be a need for further pushbacks and cancellations. They also call out that, quote, as we continue to follow guidance from government and healthcare officials regarding how we'll be able to reopen our parks and resorts in a responsible way, we may also need to make real-time adjustments to booked experiences, park tickets, and park passes. So the specific call-out of real-time adjustments to bookings is an interesting one, right? And when you mix in the fact that we already know that the parks will be limited to 20 to 30% capacity when they open, the potential for some diciness also at Disneyland starts to become more real. We already have cancellations through June 13th, so that pushes a reopening at least until mid to late June, possibly early July. Now, once we start getting into July, which again, you can currently still book for, that's when we start having that crunch of older reservations that haven't been canceled yet. We have rescheduled reservations from this three-month closure period, and we have brand new reservations that are all still coming in. So, Henry, how exactly is Disney supposed to enforce any kind of limited capacity when reservations still appear to be wide open? Yeah, I mean, it's on Disney to kind of figure that out. I imagine, yeah, there's going to be uh, a bunch of, they're going to have to do some number crunching and figure that out. But I'm sure that they're also maybe taking, at least it seems like they're taking the time to, and addressing, they're giving people a heads up that, yes, we're, it sounds like they're looking into this situation and these potential issues. But uh, yeah, that's kind of one of those reasons why I think, when the parks first open, it's going to be pretty, uh, pretty tricky. It's going to be tricky. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. It almost suggests, or at least it opens the possibility that, Hey, we're, we'll take your reservation and we may even have parks open by then, but it doesn't mean that 
just because you have a reservation at the hotel and maybe you have a park ticket that you're actually getting in. That seems pretty wild. If that is the case, that is, that is, uh, me kind of looking into this pretty heavily, but it seems like they're at least bringing that to the table as a possibility that maybe they're trying to get into people's minds now. Yeah, it would, it would definitely be a, a shenanigans if we like you got a reservation you got the hotel you have the ticket and you can't get in you're you're that (laughs) you know that's that's when you got a lot of angry people so i think they definitely need to get ahead of this i know they're kind of getting trying to get out to people that that you know there's they should expect that there's going to be changes but still they need to get on this stuff now as soon as possible because you know the last thing you need is like thousands of people showing up and not getting in that's just going to be so much bad press and you know it's going to be in the press because everybody is looking at how this goes because first they're going to be looking for you know everybody's looking to see like how the if any like infect anybody gets infected uh like any big outbreaks happen at these parks that's definitely going to be reported but then also any kind of like oh we couldn't get in and you know that's going to be it's definitely going to get it out in the press for sure so so also this is all compounded by the fact that for anybody whose reservation was affected because it, it it existed during this closure, right? If you had booked through Disney for a vacation package at Disney World uh, that just so happened to fall during this closure period, they encouraged you to rebook before September by offering free dining packages. So again, like they pushed for this. They This is something that They've completely pushed for. So, uh, you know, again, who knows? Maybe it's just like, hey, it doesn't it means that they haven't hit park capacity on these days. And that assuming that this is going to be 20 to 30 percent at the entire resort, then maybe once a certain hotel or uh, or park tickets kind of hit a certain period that they'll say we're not going to sell anymore. But, you know, they also do have along with people that have rebooked and that were encouraged to rebook, they also have all of these tickets that people have purchased that were during these closures that they've basically said, Hey, if you want a one for one exchange, you got to use by the end of December, the value will still be good. But if we jack up ticket prices after that, you're going to have to pay the difference. So again, it's encouraging people to show up by their deadline of the end of the year if they want to take advantage of this uh, and if they still want to use their tickets as full tickets. Uh, you know, it, 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 the other kind of, the other kind of potential hassle that, uh, that jumped into my head was like, you know, specifically those people that, and, and, you know, if you go on Reddit and you go on any of these message boards for Disney world, where people are talking about all of this, there are tons of people that have those July, August 
reservations and that have had them for a very long time. And, you know, because there's still the potential that the parks are going to be open, they haven't canceled their reservations, uh, which means that they haven't canceled their airline tickets. And where it's going to get really problematic is once this kind of period, this grace period that a lot of airlines have been offering um, passengers where they've basically said like, Hey, for like, you know, from what was like March through, I don't know, May or something like this, we're giving you like free cancellation, free change fees, depending on your airline, of course. But generally they've been very flexible about rebooking you or, uh, if your flight gets fully canceled, potentially even refunding you. So once you start getting out of this grace period, there is the potential that you have a reservation that falls into this and you, let's say even Disney cancels your reservation because they say, eh, sorry, you fall outside of the, the capacity. Even if they cancel it early on, you still have a plane ticket that you're not going to be able to cancel. That That's another really big problem. And they do call out, Hey, in any of these situations, we'll provide refunds and work with you to figure something out. Definitely not. That does not apply for flights. Oh, for sure. I mean, yes, this is something they, you know, potentially people are going to be out of a lot of money. Plus I think when they, uh, definitely when they were trying to get people to rebook their, their, uh, vacations, they weren't really thinking like what, the world's going to look like after this stuff is over because potentially like because of how schools and people working from home they may actually have more time off because generally around august or september you you see kids go back to back to school in this case potentially they may be out even later so they you, (laughs) you, you have more people who are willing to take that late uh, vacation in times where maybe it was a, a low capacity, those low capacity days may no longer be low capacity days. They may be high capacity days now. And I mean, again, a lot of this is going off of, I mean, all of this conversation is purely based off of the gross assumption that this is all being done without that capacity in mind that that may not be the case i mean we have no idea what those booking levels are they could be people may have totally canceled everything i mean that that is very likely right that a lot of people heard that and we're just like forget about it we'll we'll figure out another time to go to disney our value on our tickets are still going to be good um so you know forget about it we're we're just going to we're going to push it off till next year you know, there's the 50th anniversary of Walt Disney World to look forward to. Maybe we'll push it into that. So, you know, that's definitely a potential. And maybe they haven't hit that 20%, which is why they've been a little bit kind of quiet on that front and why they are have still been taking reservations. Certainly, if they're exceeding that 20 30%, and they are even getting close to if not exceeding, but if even if they're getting close to that 20% or whatever their capacity limit is going to be, 
I mean, they should stop taking reservations. Am I right? Yeah. I mean, I imagine, I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm just thinking I'm being optimistic, but I imagine one of the reasons why they kept it open and they're saying that you can, you know, make a reservation at this point for those areas is that they probably haven't hit some kind of capacity that they are thinking that it, it potentially could be 20%, 30%. So totally. So hopefully, yes, a lot of people haven't been uh, jumping on it so much this early, but uh, yeah, they should, you know, until they really have an idea that should really be like shut down. But then again, they may be using like the reservations as a way to, um, to basically test the waters to see what people's uh, interest in coming back is. So maybe that's, yeah, that's true. uh, Yeah, that's definitely true. I mean, it's uh, fair enough. And you, we should give them the benefit of the doubt, uh, just as we should give Universal the benefit of the doubt in terms of these kinds of potentially dicey situations that they could enter into. Generally speaking, there are a lot of smart people that work at these companies. So certainly you would hope that these are situations that have been well thought out uh, and that, you know, if uh, if you have a reservation uh, before they've announced what the plan is, then, you know, and the parks are actually going to be open on that date that you have a reservation for, that they should honor it. Uh, and not only that, I mean, honestly, they should thank you because you had faith in the company to basically, you know, spend money when uh, at a really tough financial time for businesses and individuals alike. So, you know, they should also be very grateful to guests that are going out on a limb and doing that. But, uh, but like I said, you're, I'm, I give them the benefit of the doubt because this is what they do. This is the, this is what their expertise is in hospitality. So, you know, like it seems like that would be a a pretty big thing to whiff on, but, uh, but we'll see, you know, if, if, uh, if the mayor of Orange County is correct and we get this Disney world plan in next week, maybe we'll see some things change. Maybe we'll have clarity. We certainly will have, more clarity on the reopening strategy in general. One would hope that we have more clarity than Universal gave us, but, you know, again, like we know that if it's next week, we know that it'll still be a couple, if not a few weeks out until those parks are going to reopen because they've been canceling reservations into mid-June. So, you know, we'll, we'll have a little bit of time to digest and figure out exactly what all of this means, what their strategy means, what it even looks like. Is it going to be like universal? Is it going to be, you know, more stringent in terms of health and safety? One would think that you could look at Shanghai and that that paints that picture. Certainly one would hope that they have a reservation system or something to gauge what each park's capacity is going to hit so that as a guest of the parks that is spending money to go to already a really anxiety inducing situation with everything going on that they've done their part 
to ensure that you're taken care of and that if you arrive or you have a reservation, that that's going to be honored and that you're going to get into all of the parks that you hope to get into. Maybe not necessarily ride every single experience that you would hope to because of whatever changes, but that you at least get to step foot in the park that you had planned to. So we'll see. We'll have it. I cert, I, I'm confident we'll have most, if not all of these answers next week. Yeah. I think uh, Disney's been good about uh, giving us a heads up of what's going on. Um, and I definitely think they're going to take, they should have the data from Shanghai about at least what works and what doesn't so much work well. So it should be, you know, I think, uh, definitely they should have some kind of plan. Yeah. I mean, one would hope that this is why there is this week plus gap between universal and Disney. Unlike, you know, Disney Springs and city walk, which was reversed. Disney now has a little bit of extra time to look at what was announced at, at, at universal and, you know, either say, cool, that's consistent with what we've got or, Look at the reaction maybe that they've been getting to that and say, like, eh, we're going to button it up. Certainly, they will have the benefit of seeing Universal open, seeing any kind of challenges that they encounter, seeing what their successes are, and making small, hopefully small modifications to the, their reopening plans to ensure that everything's running as smoothly as possible and that a lot of any kind of mistake that maybe they made that universal also had in their plan that they're able to catch gives them that opportunity though. Oh yeah. I mean, it's definitely, sometimes it's not always a benefit to be the first out of the gate. Um, in this case, yeah. uh, it definitely helps to have that info and see what it looks like, you know, what things they can avoid, but it, it sounds like uh, they're going to take their time and make sure it's done right. But yeah, hopefully, you know, encouraging people to move their reservations and make their reservations before having an actual plan or an idea when they're opening doesn't come back to bite them. Yeah, I hope so too. I really do. But uh, so, you know, obviously so much of conversation and thought is dedicated to when is Disney going to reopen these parks and what does all that look like? But that's not the only thing going on at Walt Disney World because Disney Springs just opened up on the 20th as well. WDW News Today had a great opening day report where they painted an experience very similar to what we saw at Orlando City Walk last week. So similarly to City Walk, They've got required temperature checks and masks. They've got limited shop openings with plenty of social distancing. There were a few unique points, though, that WDW called out as well. So many of the restaurants there that were open did have limited menus, that usually only had a handful of items. So if you're going there expecting that maybe they're going to have your favorite thing, that might not be the case. Stores are limiting entry by keeping track of guest count at the door. So they're ensuring that only a certain amount of guests are inside at a time. Seems like that makes sense. 
Once inside, smaller stores actually have more social distancing markers to accommodate what they assume is going to be a longer line. And then this answered one of our questions that we had about CityWalk. For clothing, anything tie, uh, sorry. For clothing, anything tried on or returned after being purchased is put into a containment unit and quarantined in the back for two days before being put back on the sales floor. Fitting rooms are also being fully sanitized in between each guest. So that is pretty extensive. Everything that gets tried on, everything that gets returned, boom, shuttled to the back. Well, that at least, uh, I mean, it sounds good to me. Uh, of course, people need to be mindful of, of stuff that people are touching, but, uh, I mean, that can't be helped so much. No, so even with this policy and knowing this, would you feel comfortable going in there and trying on a bunch of clothing? Uh, I don't know. I don't, yeah, generally I don't go and try on a lot of clothing. I don't know when the last time I actually bought something off the rack, uh, that I could try on. Uh, so, <laughs> well, you know, let's say you just, you take it off, you hold it up. Maybe it's uh, you're not necessarily going through the whole process of trying on, but you're just like holding up. You're, you're handling the merchandise. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been fine handling merchandise. I mean, I go to the store now. Um, I'm not too much worried about that in stores now. I always make sure that after I come back home from the store, I make sure I wash my hands before I eat or, or touch my face or anything like that. So um, it's just trickier, I guess, when you're out and about to to wash your hands so hopefully they have I imagine they'll have uh hand sanitizing stations or something around there so oh yeah maybe they'll maybe they have them in the stores so touching stuff isn't so bad either yeah that's true so i mean but regardless you're saying this sounds this sounds totally adequate to you oh yeah yeah cool makes sense uh and then the final point that they call out Technically, it was in a it was in a different story that WDW News Today did, but they did mention that the monorail system was being tested and could be seen running throughout the resort. So that's a good sign, man. There's nothing stranger than looking at a uh, just empty monorail tracks. So yeah, it sounds like Disney Springs uh, overall that reopening went pretty well. Uh, the other thing uh, before I forget that was called out was specifically it seemed like there were so many social distancing markers so many signs telling people to wear your mask so many stations to uh use hand sanitizer that um that the report called out that it, it was hard to imagine that someone would show up and be confused in terms of what was required and and the general rules of uh of the area well, that's good because uh you know so many of these reports of people who are just not willing to to follow the rules make it uh you know and mess things up for the rest of us 
that's I'm glad to see that you know there's enough out there that uh, people should not be confused and should know what they need to do. Yeah, it's uh, this is this is one of these uh, areas that you know you 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 want to overdo a little bit, right? Yeah, for sure. Because I mean, there's some some people is like if you don't see something in one area, oh well, I should be fine to do whatever I want here, and they just take it for granted or because they don't like it then they definitely take it for granted they hear or see what they want to see i think uh hitting them over the head with it is definitely what needs to be done at this uh at this time at least because you know if things don't work out then the rest of us suffer yeah uh so there are also a few other quick updates around disney world that are worth covering um, so sticking with WDW News Today, who killed it this week, uh, they called out that it's sounding like work may be resuming soon on the Tron light cycle power run at the Magic Kingdom. So Henry, it's it's it's, it's moving along, man. Um, they're reporting that uh, multiple trucks hauling items into the construction site were observed. So things at least seem to be moving in a good direction over there, of course. Their construction stopped along with all resort construction for the most part after all of these closures hit in, in March. So um, much like what's what's been picking back up at uh, Disneyland Resort, construction is starting slowly to move in a good place. So uh, hopefully soon we'll get that announcement that um, work on the Haunted Mansion is resumed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a good sign that these uh, constructions you know picking up because not only are does that mean people are getting back to work but also hopefully this stuff will be done in time for halloween and stuff (laughs) dude you have your eyes on the prize man i uh hey man it's i mean it's our tradition so it's kind of hard to to not be like you know we this whole time has been kind of a frustration of like you know, we don't do a whole lot during the year and pretty much everything that we usually do has been canceled. So this is our one other thing that we usually do every year. And if that gets canceled, it's just like, ah, our whole years, it's first world problems for sure. But, uh, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it's just it's just our you know our tradition and it's 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 a tough one to it's one of the one things that you know when we go to you know going to work all year usually you don't have much to look forward to our trip to Disneyland is usually that one thing that gets me like this is the reason I'm going to work this is one of the reasons I like put in so many hours during the day I do I have such a long commute. This is the reason I'm I'm doing it for. And then I get that payoff and it feels, it feels good. But if I don't get to make our usual trip, it is, it it would be disappointing. Yeah, man. Oh, I, I totally hear you. Well, it, it, and it does sound like we're moving in the direction that you want to be moving in. So, you know, we're, we're getting there. We're getting there, dude. It's not, uh, Stay hopeful. 
I try. I try to stay hopeful. (laughs) It's a a good time to be a hopeful person. Uh, And then, uh, if you remember a few weeks ago when we were talking about the potential of the NBA season continuing at the wide world of sports, that actually sounds like it may really be happening. On Saturday, the NBA announced that talks with Disney are already in progress and that late July is when they would be targeting for the season to resume. They didn't talk about any other details, but it's it, it we're, we're, this, this, this could actually happen. Uh, and then the other question that came into my mind when thinking like, whoa, this is insane. Disney World could host uh, the end of the NBA season and the NBA Finals, whatever that's going to look like. Uh, But the question then becomes, if we're talking about a late July season occurring at uh, Disney World, how is that going to factor into reopening plans? Because assuming all these players and all of the NBA are going to be staying at hotels, uh, I guess those hotels are blocked off to guests. Uh, I don't know. Sounds weird. Well, I thought I'd read something saying that, uh, Disney hotels were doing some kind of like reorganization so that they could take in these players. So, right. Yeah. Yes. So it looks like, I mean, yeah, I, I, they, I mean, they may, they may be not accessible to regular guests but uh, i don't know i mean yeah i don't know what that what that looks like what that means it is interesting to think of perhaps maybe this is one of the reasons as well that uh that this announcement uh in terms of the disney's reopening plan was delayed a little bit uh into next week because now all of a sudden they have this that they're trying to juggle so I don't know. I mean, one one would imagine, again, it all depends on how this uh, planning has been going on, but one would imagine that if you are booked at one of these hotels that they have kind of been planning around for and experimenting with to uh, to host the NBA, then you would just get shuffled into another maybe similar, maybe better hotel uh there's definitely plenty of space there. Like if, if the park is operating at 20% capacity, that means like at, at like maximum hotels are operating at 20% capacity. So that there would be plenty of space. Yeah. I mean, I, I think they definitely have the space, so I don't think that's, that's an issue. It's just, I think it's just um, what is accessible to guests and what's, what isn't. And uh <laughs> But I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it sounds pretty cool that one, it's going to, the NBA is finally going to, this is going to wrap up their season. And, uh, and two, that it's actually happening in uh, Disney World, I'm sure. Uh, I know at least a couple of players that <laughs> would be excited for that. I don't know if they're, they're going to be actually in the playoffs, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it sounds, it sounds, pretty cool and uh maybe they're listening to our podcast i don't know (laughs) dude yeah let's hear it i uh invite us we'll cover it we'll talk about it uh we'll talk about it to our uh hundred of listeners um anyway so the the thing that i thought about though that was funny too is uh i know it's more of an nfl thing 
uh, and more of a Super Bowl thing, but it like you have to whichever team wins the the finals, you have to then have everybody basically say, "Well, you just won the NBA Finals. What are you going to do now? We're going to Disney World." And then they're just like, "Okay, yeah, it's just right over here." <laughs> We're going back to Disney World. <laughs> yeah, man. We're, we're here. Cool. It's just like, oh, all right. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm a pretty big NBA fan. Obviously, the uh, Golden State Warriors not doing so hot being from the Bay Area. That's a disappointment. But listen, man, at this point, I will watch any sports you feed me. So, uh, so open wide and get prepared for the NBA potentially playing at Disney World. That's cool. I mean, it's a step towards normalcy. So I also like the idea of uh I like the idea of being at Disney World and just like seeing NBA players walk around. Obviously, that would never happen, but like uh man, what a trip that would be. Oh yeah. <laughs> And so finally, just to wrap things up with a bit of news from a few of the other parks, Hong Kong Disneyland ran a soft opening for just cast members from May 19th through the 21st. They've had temperature screenings and social distance markers up for a while now. So if we go by the testing process used in Shanghai, we should be getting a reopening announcement any day now. Very exciting. Uh, Tokyo Disney Resort had some amazing news for international travelers. Their official app has finally been translated into English with very limited functionality, but it's there. The bad news, unfortunately, is that this app is still exclusive to Japanese app stores, and you have no way to access it unless you're specifically registered there. So let me just go off on this for a second, because this is the most insane thing ever. When I was at Tokyo Disney Resort uh, last year, last year, when I was there, it, it baffled, it baffled my brain that uh, of all of the Disney parks in the world to not have an app available to just everybody that's translated into English, it would be Tokyo. Because you think of Tokyo Disney as like state of the art, and it is. It really is. But if you aren't in the Japanese app stores, you can't download it. And so you're restricted from making reservations, from doing digital fast passes, uh, from looking at ride wait times. What I had to do is I had to, I had to download a third party app that was recommended, uh, by a few different people. And it was like generally accurate and it was generally well translated but it still felt super janky to be in Disney, to be in Tokyo Disney World and using this non-Disney app to try to get any sense whatsoever of ride wait time so that I could hustle over there only to realize that they hadn't updated it on this third-party app. It's, it's crazy. It's nuts. Yeah, it's kind of weird because, uh, I mean, generally, like, I know the the Japanese oftentimes like to practice their English and stuff, and they oftentimes have English already in a lot of stuff, even if it's Japanese only. 
but it's it's weird that this is one of those cases where they don't uh so yeah. it is it is kind of a, a bizarre type of situation that i'm i mean not to say that i think you know english should be everywhere but it does seem kind of weird for uh, a disney park to be so behind especially in uh in japan so i wouldn't be surprised i think i wouldn't be surprised if it was in china um but in japan i mean when i was in japan and when i was 15 i had strangers coming up to me asking to like speak with me so they could practice their english and stuff so it's it's kind of a weird thing that it seems like they would have been more open to having uh english in their app at least it just seems like and and this kind of lends credence to this to this theory but it does seem like it is like the lowest of the low priority uh because certainly like Everybody, all other parks do it, right? Shanghai does it. Hong Kong does it. Paris does it. Everybody else does it. So, uh, you know, it, it's just like, it, it again, feels strange. And it, it gives off this impression that, like, like, clearly, if they felt like it was important, it would be done. But it does kind of go with at least my impression of the Tokyo parks, which... I mean, I guess it's not super surprising, but it is the, they, as amazing as they are, they are also the least accessible if you do not speak Japanese. So, you know, uh, generally speaking, the other international parks either do kind of like um, any kind of dialogue in a ride is hybrid. So you might literally have just dialogue repeated, but in two different languages. Or you do something like what Hong Kong does, which is they're very smart. They build uh, they build the dialogue around characters talking to each other in two different languages, and just they've written each character's dialogue in a way that just reiterates kind of what the other one is saying. So I'm sure it sounds terrible if you understand both languages because it just sounds like each is pretty constantly just repeating the other persons or they're just constantly repeating themselves, but it it's immensely uh, accessible. You know, the Iron Man ride basically has Iron Man speaking English and Jarvis speaking Chinese. And they're both speaking in a way, I mean, I don't speak Chinese, so I can't speak to Jarvis, but with uh, but with when Tony Stark and Iron Man are talking, you never feel like you're missing something or, or a piece of the story. You're generally caught up on everything. Um, Shanghai, maybe a little bit less so, but generally speaking, like their dialogue is repeated. Uh, definitely not the case at any of the Tokyo Disney parks. All of the all of the dialogue is totally in Japanese. No English, no subtitles, nothing. So, um, so definitely a little bit less accessible. That being said, like they still have English speaking guests. So, like I said, it, it was pretty it was pretty surprising when I visited uh, that I have to use a third party app, and especially like it, it it is a bummer because you do miss out on functionality. Like uh, I had to run around and collect paper fast passes which was like fine, but I did feel like I would have, especially with how the crowds were on the days that I went, I would have liked having a digital fast pass. 
I would have liked the opportunity of, of making reservations in advance. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's the loss of functionality is a real bummer. And again, it's, it is surprising at an international park, even though it's technically owned by the Oriental land company, it's still a Disney park, international following and reputation. It's surprising that they don't have an app that's accessible to multiple languages, not just English. Having, uh, worked in, you know, app development for sure, you know, Doing a translation of your app is super easy functionality to implement. I mean, because you usually have like all that text and everything written down in a doc. And you just have to have somebody who goes through and translates it. So, I mean, it's and then you just implement that. And it's usually, you know, fairly simple to once you have the functionality in there to have another language putting in getting in a translated uh translation is usually pretty simple but well and it is like uh, you know there, there is a in addition to it just being nice from a guest perspective right like i like having accessibility i like being able to see the official park app and make reservations and make digital fast passes but like there's a business reason for it too and again, I'm sure Oriental Land Company has their reasons why this is not a high priority, but the Disney perspective usually is not only in making a good user interface for all of their applications and making everything accessible, not only is that a good guest experience, it makes it easier for me to spend money in the park, right? If I can make a reservation at the restaurant that I want to, I'm more likely to spend more money at that restaurant than I am at like a quick service where maybe I'm able to find a table. Uh, it just puts me in a better place so that like, I'm like, okay, yeah, maybe I will splurge a little bit. Yeah. I think it actually lends itself to being like, like you said, the, the park isn't as accessible as the other parks are, which means it's not as inviting to international guests which means you're you aren't making like you know it's not necessarily going to be on your list like if i was visiting uh japan i mean i definitely would make it a point to go to disneyland i mean i did make it a point to go to disneyland but if i was not a huge fan of disney it might not even show up on your radar because you know, people aren't necessarily talking about it as much. Maybe that's reason I it took so long before I found about found out about Disney Sea because yeah. you don't have a lot of international people going to that park. So I mean, as you said, I mean this is this is one of the things. It's a lot of little things that help to make things like uh, like making it more accessible makes it more popular internationally so you do make like you said make more money just because it becomes easier for international guests to go to it so you get more word of mouth it it you're right you definitely were right that uh you know it makes it easy you you will make more money in doing things like this true that man that being said all of this being said don't let the lack of accessibility stop you from going to 
Tokyo Disney Resort. It's incredible. It's worth it. It's going to blow your mind. Regardless, I was still completely blown away. So uh, definitely go anyway. Hopefully by the time things open up, maybe they'll maybe they will have it available at the uh, U.S. park. So we'll see. But speaking of Tokyo, Universal Studios Japan has been given the okay to reopen now that Osaka's state of emergency has been lifted. No word from the park yet, though, on any kind of reopening plan. But it's opening the door for one. So this sets us up now, Henry, for just really being on the brink of three park announcements that we've been talking about. We have Hong Kong that's pretty much primed any day now. They're going to announce this reopening time frame. Disney World, it sounds like probably next week we'll have a little bit more clarity in terms of what their time frame is, what their reopening plan is. And then this last one, Universal Studios Japan, sounds like they've been given the green light. So they're going to probably announce an opening soon. So out of those three, which do you think is going to be the first or the next, I should say? I imagine Hong Kong would be the next to, to open. Although, like, uh, Disney uh, World, it'd be close. It's it's going to be, a, I think, a bit closer, but I think it it depends on uh, on how some of these other, like, parks, since I would say it's still Hong Kong, just because uh, Shanghai already opened, and it's been hasn't had any like really bad press come out about the opening. So I think Hong Kong's probably uh, on the verge also being a little bit smaller. Maybe it's a little bit uh, less accessible than some of these other ones. So maybe they can manage that a little bit better. Um, yeah. Not uh, only that, they've been running, they've been running soft openings, right? So, yeah. With cast members. So they're, they're, they're primed, man. They're ready to go. Yeah. I think, uh, I think, I think Disney World is going to wait maybe to see how uh, Universal's, uh, how that rolls out. Cause uh, it's been kind of wild west over in Florida. Uh, I mean, the U.S. has been pretty wild west, period, <laughs> with, <laughs> with these protests and whatnot of, of wanting it reopened, but uh, I think it's, I think in Hong Kong and, and they've been very like on, like on point on making sure that they're doing the, you know, social distancing and ma face masks. So I think that is probably uh, definitely going to be opening, but uh, I, I don't know about Japan, but uh they're disciplined enough to uh, potentially open up on time uh, soon, sooner than later, I think, uh, as well. But uh, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, man. It uh, regardless definitely seems like this next week is going to be an exciting one, man. So uh, buckle up. Well, that just about does it for today. Remember, you can catch The Great Park Hop each and every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever your favorite podcast service just so happens to be. 
As always, if you like what you hear and want us to keep making content just like this, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, and hit that like button. This has been episode 17 of The Great Park Hop, and we'll catch you next week. Stay healthy, everybody. Henry, take care, big guy. I will talk to you soon. You too, man. Bye.